Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling brings the biggest names in the industry right to you. I'm Dave Sulecki. I'm Dale Spangler. And this week's guest is the owner of Janus Motorcycles, Richard Warsham. Moto America is the official sponsor of Pit Pass Moto. After record attendance and extremely close racing at Laguna Seca, Moto America now heads to the Land of the Lakes and Brainerd International Raceway in Minnesota. See, hear, and feel 190 mile per hour superbikes, as well as five other classes of racing as they take on one of the best road courses in America. Brainerd will host seven racing classes, including the ever popular King of the Baggers. Get your tickets and a camping spot at MotoAmerica.com. Follow Moto America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Before we get to this week's guest, we're excited to introduce a new Pit Pass Moto weekly segment launching today called the Pit Pass Moto All Access. Each week, we'll share power sports industry news and observations we find to be interesting at the moment and share our thoughts. So let's get started. This week on Pit Pass All Access, a subject that I've been following, I guess for probably six to 12 months, Dave, is power sports industry companies being purchased by investment groups. And what really kind of brought this to the forefront for me was a recent PR that was put out that stated that European distributor Beer, that's spelled B-I-H-R, it's pronounced Beer. So the European distributor Beer was purchased by Arrowhead Engineered Products. And what's alarming about that is these guys seem to be on a huge roll at the moment. Recently purchased distributor Western Power Sports in the United States. I mean, they just seem like they're buying up everybody they can get their hands on and just becoming this huge mega distributor, if you want to call it that. It seems to be like this isn't just you know, happening once in a while. It's been a trend that we've been seeing over the, I guess, probably last six to 12 months. A few examples being Fox Racing, recently acquired for $540 million by Vista Outdoors, which is the group that owns Bell Helmets, Giro Helmets, Blackburn. Race-winning brands acquired by Middle Ground Capital Group. And then another one that I think probably doesn't really... I guess Shine is a, is a good example of business, but Polaris sells off Transamerica Auto Parts for $50 million after they purchased it for $665 million in 2016. So, yeah, I kind of have a lot of observations and concerns, and I'm a little bit worried about this trend happening to power sports. Obviously, it's happening you know, in other industries as well, but I think in a niche market like power sports, it's a little bit concerning. What are your thoughts, Dave? You know, it is really kind of interesting to watch because uh, it's something that I've actually lived through personally, and maybe you have also, Dale, but with these private equity groups, you have to wonder what's driving them to the motorsports world because this has been going on in motorsports in addition to power sports. They started buying up a lot of automotive companies. You've got uh, just so much of it going on, and, and, and I have to think that it's the recent growth of motorsports and power sports post-COVID or actually during COVID and post-COVID, which they saw just enormous 
growth over short periods of time. And I think that may be the driver that attracted private equity groups to come in and want to purchase these companies because they see an opportunity for high return on investment. And their investors are not private people. They're large corporations that uh, are uh, very favored investors. They're looking for that uh, four to seven year turnaround on their investment. Now the power sports world is, is getting kind of pulled into that. And I really get concerned about what the fallout's going to be for the average opco. Do they lose some of their secret sauce when these things go down? And these private equity groups tend to bring in their own management groups to kind of take over the business. I have that same concern because I feel like the larger the company becomes, you know, I worry that they lose a little bit of their, you know, their kind of soul, you know, of the brand because obviously that, you know, they just become this sort of mega corporation. I call it the Walmart Amazon effect where they come along, you know, they buy up their competition to literally eliminate their competition. And so, you know, we're getting rid of in some cases some of these smaller mom and pop shops and distributors. And so it definitely is very concerning. But I think you had a, you had a really good point about COVID, I think, was probably somewhat of the catalyst, you know, to this starting to happen because, you know, with everybody being locked down, all of a sudden power sports, whether it's dirt bike, ATV, UTV, all of a sudden it became super popular. You know, it was a way to distance yourself and isolate without being around other people. And so I think it became really popular. Motorcycles were hard to come by during the pandemic. I couldn't make them fast enough. We can't get parts and accessories fast enough. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years. That's for sure. I have to wonder if when these big buyouts happen, where I guess you you mentioned AEP as a good example, does that reduce the market size and the competition level that was going on prior? If they purchase a lot of the same companies, give you a good example like Middle Ground, who purchased race-winning brands, now they own several piston companies, piston aftermarket companies, for example. Does that kill the competition in that market? Do they kind of become one brand together? And that kind of kills competition, kills innovation, which kind of drives our market. And I really wonder if that's kind of an indirect fallout of these mega corporations that are being formed that are taking over the industry. So it is interesting to watch. I really don't know what it means for our future. This could be a blip on the radar and it could be over in 10 years and and they all bail out and it goes back to private ownership and things kind of normalize again. But uh, really in business, what is normal or is this the new normal? And we just have to get used to that's how business is. And now power sports is maturing into what larger corporations rather than middle-sized corporations operate in any industry. I have a feeling it's probably going to be the new normal, whether we like it or not. You know, it's tough because we're so close to it, having both of us been in this industry for a long time. I think it's going to be interesting because it's a very niche market and it's a relationship-based market where relationships mean a lot more than price in some cases. And so, yeah, interesting territory going forward. We'll definitely be keeping an eye on this subject going forward. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. 
And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. We'd like to welcome back to Pit Pass Moto, Richard Worsham. He is the co-founder and lead designer for Janus Motorcycles. And it's been a, been a short time since we talked to you last, Richard. How are things going? Very good. Thank you for having me back on. It's been about two years since we spoke, so had some fun, fun developments since then, including a new model. So excited to share this story. Yeah, actually, that is uh, one of the first things we wanted to ask you about. <laughs> we understand there's a there's a new bike in the offering, and uh, it's it's uh, substantially different than the first models in several ways, but uh, innovative and uh, yet still keeps the uh, nature of the original bike. So uh, tell us about that. Definitively from the beginning, our first model was was the Halcyon. And the Halcyon, if you're not familiar, is sort of a, a unique bike today because it, it, it doesn't look like much else that on the road. It, it, it sort of takes more of a historic approach, kind of a classic lines. And a lot of people think that you're riding a 100-year-old motorcycle when you pull into a gas station uh, on it. Anyway, we started off making the, a 50cc two-stroke version of that. That was our. That's what we did. <laughs> For, for several years and then when we got a little more a little more steam built up and uh some turned it into more of a, of a company we launched a 250 cc version of that halcyon and then quickly followed by the phoenix and griffin which are our versions of sort of like a scrambler and a cafe racer uh, so we sort of have what we would call maybe a cruiser which would be the halcyon the phoenix and the griffin that halcyon model it really is uh, our flagship. Uh, we sell, I mean, it's kind of shocking to say, but about 10 times more of those than our Griffin or Phoenix models, even though it's a hardtail 250. About, man, it's been many, four years ago, I think, we did a survey with a lot of our owners and we're kind of, and just after talking to them, you know, a lot, a lot of our owners come in, they pick up their bike or they come in to order the bike. And so you get to talk to a lot of people and they, we basically said, what, what do you like them about your 250 the most? And what do you want to see improved? We got all kinds of answers, but I think everyone loved the way it looks, especially the Halcyon, the ease of maintenance, the, you know, all that stuff. And then some people wanted a little more power to get on the highway. No one was scrambling for, you know, a lot of horsepower, but rather the ability to get up and go on a highway if you had to, if you had to and do it, you know, 80, 85 miles an hour. So, we kind of that kind of got us started thinking, and we basically sketched out the the broad idea of a new model. And so, what that meant for us, based on talking to people, really, and this is really something that was came out of our our current owners and talking with them, was the idea of a new Halcyon that was a little bit bigger that would be able to get hit the highway. We targeted eighty, I think it was maybe eighty or eighty five miles an hour as a the kind of speed we wanted it to be capable of around 30 horsepower because we wanted to increase the horsepower significantly but not get away from our roots of small displacement, manageable power. So we're very intentional, about, I guess I want to say, about keeping this the horsepower it is. Oh, the other thing people wanted was a little more comfort. And so we decided that absolutely this bike needed to have full suspension. It was no longer going to be a hardtail like the Halcyon 250. But the whole thing had to continue the lines of the Halcyon, uh, the design, the aesthetic build on it be different, certainly, but 
not detract, not not be a um, a watering down of that the beautiful design of the Halcyon 250. So we went to a lot of uh, lengths to design the rear suspension in such a way that it still captures the look, the clean, minimal lines of a hardtail. I'm um, sort of like the Triumph Bobber or the Harley Softtail concept. 30 horsepower. It'll do 90 miles an hour. It's fuel injected, which was one of my, my uh, stipulation is if we're going to do another bike through EPA, I want it to be fuel injected. <laughs> uh, it just makes it a lot easier. So it's fuel injected and it's a dry sump engine. So it has an oil cooler and an oil reservoir. Basically, apart from that, very similar to the, the 250. So that is our new bike. It's been a little bit delayed in production, but we are now in full production. We're in the mid-60s production numbers right now and really been ramping up production since March, February, March. Uh, We were producing, but it wasn't at the scale we are now. So that's kind of my update on the 450. Well, it's a, it's very exciting, and and I know when we talked to you last, it was we were all in the throes of COVID, and all of the the struggles that go with that. You couldn't have picked a worse time to plan and build a motorcycle, <laughs> I can imagine. But all that being said, you pulled it off, and that's amazing. I mean, you rely somewhat on the global supply chain to to build your motorcycles, but you tremendously lean on local vendors for a lot of what you do. Is that has that global supply chain been a problem for you in totality, or is it just you were able to work your way through it? I think when we spoke, it was 2020, so it would have been right during the worst of it, of the actual pandemic. But we really didn't see the the worst of the supply chain issues until 2021. So last year was really rough. <laughs> it was very difficult. We are not alone in saying that. I mean, there I think I'm sure it's hit the the entire manufacturing and everything else industry, but it just made. I think we, we mentioned it in the last time we spoke, but you know things were starting to get expensive to ship, so our shipping costs skyrocketed. They're still pretty high, coming down a little bit. Vendors' material costs all went up, and then of course you had the actual supply chain breaking down. Shock absorbers were held up last time we spoke. Since then we've had uh, oh, just it's always something new that is late, and then you know. You're building partial builds for two weeks, which isn't efficient. It's, uh, you know, the assembly team gets anything that keeps you from just producing like you want to is, is, is can become just extremely difficult. And we've, we're still kind of digging ourselves out of that. But the good news is that it seems like things are loosening up. We're getting on our feet again from that. And, and it would have been difficult anyway. You know, anytime you launch a new model, you know, there are always unforeseen challenges. So at this point, we are building roughly three 250s a week and three 450s a week. So a total of six bikes. And our goal really is to get, and it's been really a, a tough, tough to get to that point. It's a small team we have. But the next step will be increasing that by one bike per model line. So just if we can get to eight bikes, we will really be sitting pretty. So that's kind of our current challenge is just kind of, you know, not launching a whole lot of new product, but getting the getting the pace down, figuring things out, developing the right process for each different part, and then just sticking to it. <laughs> Something I observed, you know, I'm somewhat new to the, to your brand, and I probably mm-hmm. definitely know, don't know as much as Dave does about your brand, but one thing I observed is that it seems like, although maybe on the surface, you know, the Janus motorcycles may seem like catered more towards beginner riders with the lower displacement engines, these are not budget motorcycles. I mean, you source great yeah. components, like, for example, 
like I'd love to hear the story like down the road. We'll we'll ask you about this, but like you use the CG two fifty kind of replica engine. You've got an mm-hmm. SWM motor in the four fifty Brembo brakes. I mean, you're you're using really nice components. Tell us a little bit about that model, though. I mean, that approach. I guess like is that the case? You know that these yeah, are really absolutely. not beginner. Okay, yeah, love to hear more about it. Yeah, yeah. So let's dive in because I mean, I, I guess I haven't really described what we're doing. <laughs> I mean, it is. <laughs> For anyone new listening to this, uh, these are very different bikes. Definitely is not what you go walk into your typical power sports dealership that you're expecting to see. Now, maybe if you're familiar with the Royal Enfield line, you might be you know familiar with the concept of what we're doing. The Royal Enfield line is, a, is actually a very old brand that's making, they haven't changed a lot. We're pretty new, <laughs> new kids on the block. And our background was in vintage European mopeds. So the old pedal type mopeds. We loved them. We thought they were cool. (laughs) It's a bunch of nerds, but we thought they were hilarious and fun to ride. And through wrenching on them and the community around that and just the the enjoyment of riding and the whole process, like going to a gas station, filling up, that's all part of the motorcycle experience. It isn't all just on the open highway, you know, hair blowing in the wind. It's working on the bike, sourcing parts, that kind of thing. It's it was, it was so enjoyable that, that it was natural for that to influence when we started a motorcycle company, that. And so we've decided to make the best motorcycle we possibly can with the best components we possibly can source, but that it's designed to be lightweight and low displacement. And so by low displacement, of course, I mean small engine. So every bike we've made so far is a single so super simple. The 450 is probably the more, most complex because it does use a, a fuel injection and an ECU and all that stuff. The goal is not, it basically is not to make a budget motorcycle. You know, if we wanted to make a budget motorcycle, we would, we would not be doing it the way we do it. <laughs> Handmade by Amish people and then each bike assembled by hand and painted by hand and all the just labor that goes into these bikes, aluminum fuel tanks, etc. We also are, have no intention of trying to make these you know, luxury or expensive, but we are we're getting better at, at pricing what we do honestly for what we need to make to sell these bikes and and luckily there are people out there that are just as captivated by well-made beautiful little machines as we are so that's kind of the background yeah on the, uh, on, on janice it's it's small displacement for the joy of what a lightweight easy to ride bike can provide the flip side of that is that when you are building a new company like we're not real infield and so when we're small we don't have a dealer network and so far working in a a dealer environment has not worked out we haven't figured we haven't figured out the recipe yet and so we need an engine we need components that are not only super reliable because there's nowhere to take them you know that's dedicated to that there's no janice repair shop that you can go to in in i don't know st louis it needs to be something that is easy to maintain Obviously, it's going to be a high-quality component and something really simple. You mentioned the CG engine or the SWM engine. Those were very, very carefully selected to be engines that not only are unlikely to ever have an issue, but are also easy, if they do, to break apart without factory tools and with a layman's knowledge or with the help of a YouTube video. To steal a, a kind of a, a, a word from the auto industry, it's almost like an, a resto mod approach. If I maybe if I'm if I'm right there, where you're kind of the, have that sort of vintage look, but they're not old bikes. Like you're saying, you're not riding a 1930s bike. You're riding a modern bike that has, you know, modern parts and. Yeah, if it were, if they were a custom bike, they'd be a, they'd look like a resto mod. I mean, it's a, a resto mod being a restoration mod, modification, so it's not a full custom. Of course, these are production bikes, so they're all 
you know, we balance this strange line of custom and production. And so a lot of our, you know, our owners just automatically assume that we can do anything for them. Like, and sometimes we have to say, well, I can't make different kinds of rims for you because they all have to have <laughs> the same one. That's how we're able to afford to do this. But uh, at the same time, we also offer so many more options than your typical manufacturer OEM. That it, that it almost is. Uh, I, I bet you that there are very few bikes in the thousand plus bikes we've built that are that are identical. Yeah, that was another point I was going to make. Is you have tons of customization options available, like you hand painted number plate and engrave your fuel cap and all kinds of pinstriping. And I mean, in a way, it's almost like that is that sort of bespoke model in this case because you're you're, you're making yeah. it specifically for each customer's purchase. Yeah, when, when people come in to get a tour of the shop, I mean, we, we work in an, out of an old dry cleaner right in the downtown of, historic downtown of Goshen, Indiana, northeast Indiana. They walk in and they're, they're usually the middle, we call it the middle room. We haven't gotten any more creative than that. But the front, it's kind of the, right at the front and it's usually full of bikes that are ready to ship. And we always tell people, you know, these are, every single one of these bikes has a name associated with it and somebody has picked out that color. So 99% of the bikes we build are built to the customers. You know, they're pre-sold basically. And then we build them to the customer's order. Depending on the time of year, you know, like there's just always these specific times of years when people don't buy as much, right after Christmas, for example. Uh, we just build inventory bikes. And so those would be the, you know, one or 2% of bikes we build that don't have a name on them. But um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they're two different pinstripe color options, wheel pinstripe, eight or nine different main color, stock main color options, three different leather colors. The number of possibilities becomes kind of infinite. <laughs> And choices are, is really what it's all about. And I think that's one of the drivers for your direct-to-consumer to approach to uh, to selling motorcycles. But I understand that you've recently started a relationship with, with a dealership down in Florida to uh, try to, you know, bring the bikes to the customers in a dealership setting. Is that something that's, uh, that's uh, active and going on? We worked with a company called Burn Up, Com- Burn Up Company in Palm Beach, Florida for about four months this spring trying it out. They've since had to downsize uh, a little bit. Awesome company. They still do all of our service in that area. We really haven't figured out, kind of like I was saying, we haven't uncovered the secret to how to do what we do outside of Goshen. That's not to say that we don't sell bikes all over the country. You know, we sell more bikes around the country than we do in Elkhart County, which I'm sure our, our uh, sales <laughs> would love to figure out how to sell them just right next to home. But We've always found that people want to come to us. It's kind of like a, a, a pilgrimage, you know, to see the factory. And that's something we, we will be continuing to explore. And we had, a, we had an awesome time down with Burnup. But we still have to figure out more. Because kind of like what you were saying earlier about, you know, that they're not a budget bike. There is, for good reason, you know, a kind of car, correlation between engine size and price point. And that's probably the main objection that we see is, you know, I could get a used Sportster for that much money. And, you know, well, yes, you could. And that's great. That's not what we're making. And usually the people that say that are not going to be the people that are a Janus customer. But typically people walking into a dealership, unless they understand like what's happening, they just don't, they don't understand it. So we've got to figure that one out. <laughs> and I fully recognize that's a challenge because it's such a unique machine and and you're probably drawing a lot of experienced riders over yes. new riders, I would yes. expect, in your, in your mix. We're getting a lot, even especially for the 250, a lot of riders with, with more than 20 bikes. <laughs> you know, like we're talking, some riders are, or maybe they've decided that, hey, my Goldwing or my Harley is too heavy for me. And so they're getting older in that sense. 
other riders are they just want something that is more like the fir- the first bike they had like the trail 70 or the trail 90 they had that's just simple and they don't have to like put all the gear on and make a 19 point turn to get it out of the garage it's just like okay i'll just pick up the front and move it around and zip i'm gone and with that in mind, I, Janice has a really, to me, very interesting marketing presence. Just how you present yourself on the website, on YouTube, on Instagram, your accessibility, and the, uh, you know, all the tip videos. And, and my favorite by far is the behind the scenes. This is our fixture uh, guy <laughs> that we partnered with, and he helped us. He helped us build our frames. That stuff for gearheads like me is just fascinating to sit and watch. I, I'll eat that stuff yeah. up. And it's such an interesting way to reach your, you know, to reach your end users. Yeah. So what he's talking about is that we did, uh, we do like production updates, especially when we're launching a new model. And we did it with the 250 and we did it with the 450. And it was kind of like our owners, when we launched the 450, it would have been uh, March of last year. You know, we didn't have all the final tooling. We had a, we had the first prototypes. And so then to bring it into production, we launched basically production update videos and emails telling people, you know, this is what's happening now. And I think a lot of people like like you, you know, that even if you aren't a customer, it's just interesting to, to see how a product like that comes out. And it doesn't get cooler than, I mean, motorcycles, it's just, they're, they're fascinating things to, to just learn more about regardless. I mean, I love watching the how a BMW is made. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we do uh, production updates. We do parts talks, which is like, hey, this is a part on the bike. Here, let's tell you about the whole history of this part. This is where it's made. This is why we designed it this way, blah, blah, blah. And we do tech tips. So like that would be like, we just launched, I think yesterday, a new video on how to change the oil on your 450, which is different than the 250 because it's a dry sump engine um, and stuff like that, that supports the owner in not only knowing all about the bike, but also knowing how to do the routine maintenance. Back to like kind of talking more about what we were earlier about the customer of, of Janus Motorcycles. There's a line on your website that I feel like really sums up well the end user. Discover the simple joy of motorcycling. And it kind of goes back to your point about, you know, like we all had maybe a Z50 or a CT70 mm-hmm. that was that first <laughs> motorcycle that really just brought us that joy. And there was another line that there was a blog I read on your site that said, you guys realize that some of the most fun can be had on these small displacement bikes. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in my own term here where the smiles per hour are very high. Would you say that's mm-hmm. definitely the case? 100%. That's, that is absolutely what we're trying to do. And we have a little podcast, which has been kind of sporadic, but we had our first guest on was a, a, the founder of the Four Stroke, Owners, Four Stroke Owners National Club. And he, Jack Robinson, just, there are so many people out there that, that know exactly what we're talking about. When you say smiles per hour. There are especially older riders that have learned, you know, they've had 20 bikes, maybe not all the same time, but, you know, they've worked their way through bikes. They've learned what they want out of a bike and what they really find enjoyment in. And that just driving down the road or stopping or all the different aspects that go along with riding a motorcycle, uh, the smells, all that stuff, absolutely uh, is what we're about and what we're trying. That's what we're poking at. And so we invite other motorcyclists to poke at it with us. <laughs> well, something else cool that I I noticed uh, recently, you guys were the first ever winner of the coolest thing made in Indiana contest. Pretty cool. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was really interesting. It was basically the, the Chamber of, Indiana Chamber of Commerce put that on. It was a direct elimination, you know, tournament with open voting to, you know, just residents of, or actually I guess anywhere. And so, 
it was just kind of like a bracket system. And so it kind of bred uh, some competition and it was a lot of fun. And we, uh, we certainly applied. Some of our owners were like, hey, you should apply to this. So we, we did. And then as we kind of got toward the higher and higher, we're like, holy cow, this might actually, you know, and, and in Indiana, uh, which is, as you of course know, a big manufacturing state. So this was really a, a competition geared toward manufacturers. So we were the inaugural winners. So um, that's really something we can be proud of. I think everybody in the team and really, I think probably more than even us, our, our local suppliers really got a kick out of it. So that was a lot of fun. I love how you guys have helped resurrect the emotional connection to motorcycles because it's one I've had my entire life and I and I know exactly where you're coming from. And uh, you said something on one of your podcasts and uh, I think it was something along the lines that speed is not defined by miles per hour. And I think Dale mentioned smiles per hour, but uh, definitely I think that captures Janice in a nutshell when I hear you say those words. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I had an old concourse 1000 a couple of years ago and great bike pretty quick it's just it's it's a different thing it's i really enjoyed it but i don't miss it as much now and and, you know this weekend i rode 300 miles up uh, up from indiana to 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 wisconsin on my 250 because it's so much fun (laughs) so (laughs) well richard you know we could talk for you talk to you for hours and we always love having you on and getting an update on janice and and we'd love to have you back anytime you're you're welcome here you want to take these last few moments if you want to let our listeners know the best place to find you and uh, learn about Janus Motorcycles. Absolutely. Yeah, the best place to find us if you're interested in learning more is our website, JanusMotorcycles.com. I think at this point, at the end of our, our last um, uh, podcast with, with uh, Pit Pass, we, we announced the launch of our configurator program, which you can go online and build, literally build your bike. We now have that up and running for both the 250 and 450. So even if it's just you want to spend 15 minutes having fun designing a bike and not buy one, go ahead, check it out. It's really fun. We also are on all the popular social media platforms. We do lots of YouTube videos. We have an email list. Please consider signing up. It's it's interesting stuff. Um, we don't we don't fill your mailbox up. So JanusMotorcycles.com or just give us a call. We'd love to talk. Awesome. Thanks again, Richard. We appreciate your time today. Thank you all for having me again. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review our show. We'd really appreciate it. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com, where you can check out our blog, listen to past episodes, and get your very own Pit Pass Moto swag. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, producer Leah Haslidge, and audio engineer, Eric Coltnow. I'm Dave Sulecki. I'm Dale Spangler. See you next week on Pit Pass Moto. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.